Oh, hello there, alpaca pals. A couple of months ago, I stumbled on an Instagram account called No White Saviors. The account's tagline reads, We never said no to white people. We just know you shouldn't be the hero of the story. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not listening. In scrolling through the content of this page, I can confirm as a white person, I was a little uncomfortable, but I was and I continue to be learning from that discomfort. No White Saviors calls out white travelers and humanitarians that share problematic content. Content that perpetuates incorrect stereotypes about Africa and content that points to the white savior complex. The goal of the campaign is to decolonize missions and development work through advocacy. So today we're chatting with Wendy and Olivia from No White Saviors to learn about the campaign, what the white savior complex is, and how white travelers can do better when they travel to Africa. But first, okay, alpaca pals, I know I've said this before, but I'm saying it again. We want to hear more from you. Send us a DM, share a screenshot of one of our episodes, or leave us a review. Hearing from you guys gives us motivation to keep making this show, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Let's get started. So I was thinking that maybe for starters, you could explain to us the history and the story of No White Saviors, how the campaign started, and um, its connection to this other organization that you mentioned to Katie over the phone. Okay. Um, hi, I am Olivia. I'm a co-founder at the No White Saviors. Um, how did we start No White Saviors? I, I met Kelsey in Ginger um, some years ago, and we met at a clinic where I'd taken my son for treatment. And here is a white woman with a black child. I just moved straight to her and asked her, what's wrong with the child and why she was holding this baby. And then she explains to me, she tells me we have an organization that we run around Ginger Town and we keep children in families. And I was like, okay, I would love to really see what you guys are doing on the ground, if you don't mind. And she told me to go and visit them. And I think that's how I started. So when I got there, I got to see what they were doing. And they said, actually, we are hiring a social worker. And I joined the team. Um, I mean, I think it was time for me to do some work. So I joined their team as a social worker. And uh, Kelsey was my boss by then because she was the founder. And along the way, I saw things that were not proper. I saw... um, some individuals who are white, the way they were treating Ugandans, and I wouldn't stand that. And as an employee, I didn't have the power to stop it. So I opt to resign. And um, I resigned because I knew matters I would stand. There was no decision that I would make that would change things. And to protect my conscience, I left the organization, but we stayed in touch with Kelsey who later, after a few, I think a year, also left the organization. But we continued speaking about um, what we saw in the NGO sector in, in Ginger. And, and this doesn't rule her out as a white person because she, she was part of the problem and she will still be part of the problem. But the constant talking about of these issues on uh, Facebook and, and so we started this hashtag with another friend of ours, and we started this hashtag, No White Saviors. And and this is how we grew from one person following us. We said, okay, maybe this is the platform we can use to put out the message to the world, but we didn't put this, uh, we didn't actually plan this, and we didn't know that No White Saviors would come up to where it is right now. So, it started as a hashtag where we put no white saviors, but as the work grew and as the work we have registered them, no white savior under Kusimama Africa, which means rise up in Africa. Um, I mean, in, in Swahili, rise up Africa. So we, we, we made it broader and we are registered as Kusimama, 
But No White Saviors is a campaign, and it's a huge campaign that we run uh, within Kusimama Africa. So this is how it all started. It started as a hashtag, and then um, we saw that there was still more work to do. We registered in Uganda's uh, Kusimama Africa, and we have things that we work on in, within Kusimama. So, okay, just to talk a little bit more about Kusimama, we are aware that people know us as No White Savior, which is a very good thing because it's, it's this campaign onto which Kusimama Africa is based. So as a non-profit, we are registered as Kusimama Africa. And within Kusimama, we have campaigns, and No White Savior is one of the campaigns. It's the pioneering campaign, and it's what most people know. So we can't really blame people for not knowing Kusimama. The other campaign that we run within Kusimama Africa is action. Action where we, we partner with Ugandan-led organizations because we are constantly telling people to do better. So people are openly asking, what organizations that do you think are actually doing better? We shall not require you to people that we do not know well. We have organizations that we partner with and we've seen them grow from the grassroots. So within action, we collaborate with these Ugandan-led organizations, help them establish, establish, help them look for funds. And then we also have a campaign to do education that is basically geared towards educating people about colonialism, imperialism, basically instilling a pan-African kind of thinking into people on the continent and in Uganda as well. That was a wonderful explanation. That's super helpful for us to understand better the roots of the campaign, No White Saviors, because I think you're right, especially like abroad, it seems like No White Saviors is what people are familiar with. On that note, I'm curious if you have insight as to why the hashtag and later the account gained so much traction, because it seems like in less than a year, you gained such a following. (laughs) So with our account, we are talking about things that people have thought about for such a long time, but didn't know how to express these things out. So here we are talking about what people are actually going through on the continent, even outside the continent, especially people of color. So if you ask us why you think we've grown in Mm. more than a year, that is simply the answer to why. Yeah, and and maybe to add on to what Wendy has said, that we never imagined for sure, we cannot sit behind here and tell people listening to us that we imagined it would be like this. No, because first and foremost, the message um, that we pass on as no white saviors, many people are very uncomfortable with this message. So we knew this would be a platform where people would actually discuss and express themselves, but we didn't know that would grow this fast. Yeah, so. And no white savior is a space for people of color for people that have been marginalized to express themselves how we feel, how they feel. And we've noticed so many people have been feeling this way, but they basically did not have a platform to put this out. And here is a platform that is putting out this unapologetically, okay? Mm-hmm. No way savior is not a space for white fragility. Yeah. That's why we keep saying, if you are not if you're, if you're not uncomfortable, then you are not listening. So we do not cater to white feelings, okay? We are here to educate people mm-hmm. about the nuances of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, from what you're saying, and I think it's really clear, I've seen it in watching the account myself, that you've really built a community where people can not just come together and discuss these issues, but relate to each other on a yeah. global scale, it seems like. Exactly. So I wanted to ask for you, because a lot of our listeners, I think, 
won't know what white saviorism is. Could you give an explanation of what it is in your eyes, how you see it manifesting in your community? Oh, okay. So as a, as a team, as the No White Savior team, we came up with a definition of uh, white saviorism and would love to share it with your followers. And here it goes. It's a symptom of racism and white supremacy, which places those in position of privilege in the role of a savior over those who have been historically exploited and oppressed. So that is the definition that we have as a team. Let's make something clear. You cannot talk about white saviorism and you put white as a race apart. These two things work hand in hand. Yeah. Are we clear, Olivia? Yeah. While you may, we may understand that there could be people of color that have privileges, but in a place where someone of color with privileges is put and a white person with privileges is put, the white person with privileges overrides the person of color. So we are not saying that a black person or a person of color cannot have the savior mentality. They can have it as well. But in a place where they both exist, white saviorism overrides the privilege of a person of color or a black person. Okay, so it points to sort of the systemic structure of um, privilege, like not, not just in Africa, but we see it here in North America as well. So how have you seen white saviorism manifest within Jinja and other communities? Like, when did you first start thinking about it and seeing it? Mm, I think um, we, first of all, we grew up in a system where we knew white was right. And everything um, that was white was next to God. And this is within our education system where we are told what we what they want us to know, not what they what we need to know. So as we're growing up, we young as we were, it was so hard for us to really see this because this is what we had internet like this is what we are told. This was what was internalized in our brains with our education systems. But as we grew up and started reading much further and um, getting to think critically about these issues, then we started seeing them manifest in our communities. And we, we started seeing them in the NGO sector where, where most of the organizations are owned by foreign nationals, like white people in Jinja, particularly, and also um, the hierarchy of leadership. These are things we started questioning. You know, white people are always making the decisions, and even if you sit in a meeting and they ask you a take on something, it's just a show. It's just something to, to make you feel happy, but in the after sense, what you say cannot be used in any anything, or it cannot be part of the organization. So we, and we have seen this as, as we've read more and more and also started reflecting on what we saw when we were children, we are getting the answers now to, to so many questions that we had growing up. And one thing to note is that Jinja is a popular tourist destination. On average, mm -hmm. you will see about 30 white people moving around with cameras, okay? Mm -hmm taking photos of children around, taking photos of anything that they come across, anything that they can post on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So as you keep seeing this, you begin to question, oh, did they ask for the permission why they did that? Why is she, you know, walking around half almost naked with a culture here that talks about, you know, well, presentation and how so you begin to question all these kinds of things mm. and from you know the reflection like Olivia has talked about and the different ways in how you see white saviorism manifesting puts you to a point that you know what I need to do something about this mm -hmm. much as our education system has taught us that 
anything that is next to whiteness is good. I need to move away from what I have been told to be able to reflect and critically analyze what's going on. And how do you see it embedded in the aid and development organizations that are there in Jinja? Because from what I understand, there are a lot of um, missions operating out of Jinja. So one, before Olivia mentioned something, one point I would like to put across is that when it comes to development aid, development aid works around fundraising. They work around donations. So they are constantly finding ways of how to attract people to donate, to attract people to fundraise. So when you look at most of the aid communication within development work, it's pure covert porn, okay? They will put out these photos of, you know, kids suffering, kids dying, kids that are not happy, because at the end of the day, they feel that's the only way that is going to drive in money. Mm. Much as it's the only way that is going to drive in money, mm. what is the reaction of the beneficiaries of this aid? Mm. Are they in agreement with the photos that you're using? Or at the end of the day, you're eager to appeal to people's emotions and get money? Does the way you portray the beneficiaries of this aid ethical? Are they perceived as people? What kind of image are you selling to someone that is donating mm. and they've never been on the African continent? What image are you selling? Because people interpretation of visual images is very different. Mm. You may say, no, I took this photo because this child was in need, but if I am a, I'm from America and I've never been to Africa and mm. I see this child the way they are, mm. the moment I look at this photo, I'm going to think this is how things are. Mm. Everyone in this country is suffering. Mm. They need my help. Mm. They need me to save them. So, yeah, development aid has been one of the biggest industries that have promoted the white savior industrial complex. It seems like they really leverage that as a tool to gain uh, funding. So for them at the end of the day, it's aid. It's that how much aid we get versus how ethical we portray people. They are not interested in how people appear to the rest of the world. Mm. They are interested in the aid that comes in, which is very problematic. And I think this relates to something that I've seen you talk about on the Instagram account about shifting the narrative to really portray like what Uganda actually is and the story of Uganda rather than this like story that is being constructed by white organizations that come there. So I actually want to talk a little bit about you were mentioning tourists that come to Jinja and walk around and take photos. Um, this podcast is is very much about tourism, but the goal of the podcast is to find ways to become more responsible as travelers and really bring shed light on things that are problematic when we're traveling around the world. And that's something that I've seen all over the world myself, tourists that um, dress a certain way and just behave that they would at home while somewhere foreign that really shows like the lack of research and the lack of understanding of other cultures. So I think one of the issues that we talk about a lot on the podcast is volunteerism. So that usually means someone that goes to another country to volunteer. So sometimes they'll go to like an animal sanctuary or to an orphanage and they think that they're doing help or giving help. And really they're just paying a lot of money to go and really engage with white saviorism because it's it's just oriented around making themselves feel like they've given to a community that needs their help. an article about volunteering and volunteerism. Mm. This is something that we are quite aware and have talked about. Wow. It won't be the first time we are talking about this. So I wanted to ask, like, do you think there is a way that foreigners can come and volunteer outside of their home country? 
um, in a way that's positive, or does it always carry with it this connotation of white saviorism? I mean, yeah, there's a way. If you have a specific skill, I mean, if you have a specific skill to offer that community, it's very, very important, and your help will be appreciated. But then what is really wrong about it is you coming and you're volunteering in a hospital and you don't have any medical any medical qualification, no medical idea, but you find yourself there. So let us try to change, let us try to shift to coming to Africa with a specific skill that you're going to offer and, and a skill that will benefit the people. But then even before moving from home to foreign countries to volunteer, can we first take a look at the people around us in our communities, you know? There's a saying here that we always have that goes by, charity begins at home. Have people actually, have you tried to look around your community to give this aid first? Or you're running to the next plane to come to Africa to solve, solve African problems. And because our problems can be easily solved, you know, that's according to the, you know, Western ideologies. But let us also try much look at the environments that we come from. Because trust me, there are people who come to volunteer in Africa, but they are passing 20 homeless people around them. People who need this help within the community, but it would rather get to Africa than to start with your own community. And when we say that, we do not necessarily mean that we don't need help. Mm -hmm. Uganda doesn't need help, Uganda doesn't need aid. The question is, how is this health coming? You are a volunteer, you're a gap year student that knows nothing about Africa. It's your first time traveling to Africa. We have these organizations that are postering ads all over the internet saying, oh, do you want to experience Africa? Do you want to find yourself? Here is... So at the end of the day, these people postering all these kind of images are about making money. They do not care that you as a white person, American and privileged, have the skill set. At the end of the day, they want your $4,000. So they'll post you anywhere, regardless of whether they think you know about the place or you've done a background check. But then that shouldn't, we shouldn't shift the blame to these people as someone that is going to volunteer have you done have you done background check have you thought about the process have you thought about how you are going to impact these people do i have a similar problem back home so if you are someone that is going to volunteer or that is considering a volunteer we require that you use an ethical approach in whatever you're going to do. Because an ethical approach is embedded in treating people in an equal way. When you use this approach to reflect on whatever you're going to do, it's going to help you shape how you will navigate through different things. And at the end of the day, we don't think you will fall prey or perpetuate the you know a kind of saviorism that we are talking about so we are not saying no to volunteers mm. we need you to have the skill set we need you to have the qualifications okay mm. we need you to understand that while things back home may be like this it is not the same with where you're going we believe people can yeah. volunteer if they have the skill set yeah. and they have the qualifications it's not about intentions, good intentions. You may say, but I want to mean good. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end of the day, good intentions are not good enough. You will go volunteer in a hospital with no qualifications and have a thousands of babies killed. And the, at the end of the day, you'll be saying, but I meant well. <laughs> no, meaning well is not good enough. Have you put into the work that qualifies you to be in this place? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this also in the context of like examining your own motivations. I yeah. think sometimes that especially white travelers, we don't think honestly about 
why we're motivated to visit somewhere or even just like take a picture if you're in a if you're about to take a picture of like a child what is your motivation for that and I think that people don't do enough work within themselves to think about honestly why they want to take that picture and what they plan to do with it like what is the purpose of it So I wanted to talk a bit about the Instagram account. Um, I've been following it for basically since the start, and I've really found it educative to see the way that you call out. um, I've seen you call out bloggers, influencers, and celebrities um, for the posts that they share while they're in Uganda and other African nations. So for example, I know that recently you called out Nina Dobrev and Gigi Hadid. Um, do you want to explain what the purpose behind these call-outs are? We wouldn't necessarily call this call-out. Okay, just to highlight, you've noticed that traditional ways of advocating for justice are sort of falling out out of place or they take longer for one to achieve justice. For instance, if I had quoted Nina's photo and I wanted to say something about it, traditional justice would require that I get the photo, go through our police and, you know, we sit around these ethical boards. It's very time consuming. Mm. And as time is going on, the same behavior is constantly happening. So we believe when you use social media to call out people, it puts them under pressure and the willingness to change. People take time to change in closed rooms because at the end of the day, their reputation is not at stake. So you will do the negotiations of, oh, yeah, I'm going to put it down, I'm willing to change, and no work will be done. But the moment people feel that they are pressured, pressured and there are, you know, people saying, oh, no, what you're doing is not right. And it's actually not right. But because this person has grown around a system that has portrayed whatever they are doing to be good, they do not even have time to question what they are doing. Yeah, and I think also these people have huge followings. I mean, we're talking about millions of people following them. And, and these are public figures. These people, some people look at them, look up to them as their idols or they take examples from them. <clears throat> and if we, don't, if, if we don't call out this behavior, and if we don't show that there is a problem with what this person is doing, it definitely flows from one person to another. And by the time you know a million people Um, who follow this person know that whatever they are doing is okay. If she came to Africa and took a random picture with this baby, it is fine. So they will also follow into the same shoes and be like, oh, you know, so and so did it. I can actually also do the same thing. So by calling out these people, um, it's also a way of sensitizing the masses that follow them, that indeed this person has to check on how they are portraying themselves when they travel to countries um, on the African continent or any other part of the world. So yeah, I think this is this is the main reason and why we call people out in such a way, especially big celebrities, because remember, social media is like a burning fire. So the moment you light it, everyone gets to know and it's quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if any of these public figures have responded. Um, uh, yeah, we do respond in our DMs. Um, because, and it's funny how they do not, in most cases, some, okay, I would say some, they do not want to publicly say that, you know what, I'm sorry. So they would rather want a negotiation between us. But at the end of the day, this is not what we are asking. We want you to apologize to the masses that you misled the same way you did it is the same way that we want you to do it. Yeah, I think we've had some some celebrities that we've called out and they have um, gotten back to us and they have changed the way of doing things. We have um, Drew Brinsky, a travel blogger. Um, 
he came into our DMs and tried to give an apology, but we don't know if really that was an apology. Yeah. Mm. And also, but we've had several celebrities, I think I won't mention, who follow our work, who are huge in um, in uh, in Sweden, in the in different parts of the world, who have talked to us and indeed and asked them how actually donated to our work, work. for you know educating them and yeah. And also, I think we've had people who have responded, just as Wendy has said, in a way that might not be publicly, but I think recently, Stacey Doody has taken down that picture of the child that she took with in Uganda. So then you see that's some reaction we are seeing right there. Yeah, I was checking Nina Dobrev and Gigi Hadid just because they were the most recent ones to see if they had removed the images. Because I think that's a really easy way for especially a celebrity, to just sort of sweep it under the rug, just delete the photo. But I saw that they haven't. Yeah, I think it also took Stacey Dooley uh, quite some time to remove that image uh, because first and foremost, people have grown up in privilege. And if someone speaks something like that, they feel that, okay, I have the right to do whatever I'm doing. But with time you sit down and process it and you you find yourself. You find yourself and you think critically on what people are addressing. This is a good example of Stacey Dooley. This photo made a lot of uh, rounds in London, a lot of um, attention, especially in London. And she didn't take it there then down, but a few weeks ago, yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago, she has taken it down. So you you understand that people are not ready to people acknowledge very, the privilege. They are very in. egoistic. Exactly. Like they want. They don't want to feel defeated, uh-huh. even when they know that whatever they've been doing is actually wrong. But yeah. to them, at the end of the day, it's about power. I mean, I am a celebrity. I have this huge following. How dare you think I'm going to put down a photo? I mean, as well, understand what you're saying, but, you know, I'm a celebrity. So they have that kind of thinking. Yeah, and, the, and, the and at the end of the day, the masses that are seeing these photos are the same people that are going to want to travel to Africa and do the same thing. Mm, yeah. yeah. So what standard are you setting for people? What story about Africa, about Uganda, are you selling to people out there that have never been on the continent? Yeah. But for these two people, we are actually not surprised that they have not taken down the photos. No, 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 no. Because we know this is a very hard pill to swallow for them. But uh, with time, they'll put it down. Stacey Doody is a very good example. She has put down that photo after like nine months or something like that. So um, we'll definitely see the work speaking for itself. Uh, around these and then at people. the end of the day, our work is to educate people on these issues. It's up to you to be willing to change as a person, okay? Here we are with our social media platforms providing all this free knowledge for you. Mm-hmm. So the ball is in your court. Are you willing to change or are you willing to move on with the kind of behavior that you've been accustomed with? But at the end of the day, we want to see people change because we are not doing this for the sake of it. Of yeah. it. We want to see change, but you cannot force, you cannot propel people to change instantly. Like we said, white savior in the midst is, it's, 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 it's a symptom. It's something that someone may fall in and out even with the white person that we have on the team, Kelsey, we cannot say that she's a fully recovered white person. It's successful learning. You keep learning from, you know, the different people that we meet. So we do not stamp out and say, oh, this person has recovered. They're now, you know, good or they, you know, it's a learning process that may take time, that may be hard for you to even understand, but yeah, but we can also we also can't rule out the fact that there will be people who will hold you accountable. Yeah, no one savior pushes it out there. There will still be people who will hold you accountable, who will remind you, who will write on your stories. So, I mean, if it is out there, then I mean, we can't control what um, people are thinking now. It's people are waking up and they're seeing this being problematic. They'll continue holding people accountable, which we want to see. 
So no SMS has put, put it there, then other people are holding you accountable, then that is challenging the system as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think like even in the time, like the year that I've watched your account and read everything that you've posted, like obviously I'm white, I'm very privileged. I've grown up very privileged. And um, there have been many moments that I've felt very uncomfortable reading what you've written. There was one post specifically where you talked about um, white people wanting to fix grammatical issues all the time online. And I've definitely been guilty of this, but I never had the tools to like really think about what that said about like my privilege and my power. And um, I want to thank you because really like I've learned so much following your account and I think that it's such important work, but I also am realizing that because it's so uncomfortable, I think a lot of people reject it because it's hard to engage with something that makes you so uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. Um, so on that note, like I want to ask what can people do to, especially when they travel like through the continent of Africa, how can we be responsible when we travel there or if we come there to volunteer? What are things that people should be thinking about? Yeah, I think people should first have this statement in their minds, whoever is planning to travel on the continent, visit a country for what it has rather than what it lacks. And what do we mean here? When you visit Uganda and there's something beautiful, show the world the beauty it has. Don't come down here and you begin taking pictures of our roads and then you post them on Instagram like, oh, these are very dirty roads. They have a lot of potholes. No, visit every country for what it has and not for what it lacks. And I think we've seen this point in, in, in a time where people visit the continent and instead of showing the beauty, they'll always show that the negative side, side of it. And how they cannot wait to hop onto the next, next plane. Back home. You know, we've seen people write sad things. And also, um, we always discuss as a team around this and the tips that we give um, go around ethical traveling. I know we, you, Wendy, as a break. team, we strongly advocate for ethical traveling, mm-hmm. ethical storytelling. Mm-hmm. We strongly advocate to evolve ethics mm-hmm. in whatever you are doing. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what's your motivation for traveling? Why do you want to travel? Mm-hmm. Are you traveling because you want to take a cool Instagram photo? Mm-hmm. Or are you traveling with a view that you're, you're open to ideas? You want to learn. And how are you learning in the process? Is your, your learning biased? Mm. Have you come with an open mind? Have you taken questions of cultural differences into into, you know, questioning, have you thought about, you know, the power dynamics between where you are coming from and where you are coming to? Because when you think about all these ideas at the end of the day and question, they will really help guide you on how, you know, to do better. For instance, people travel to countries that have, that have, sites that are, you know, are attached to, you know, the different cultures of, you know, a given country. For instance, if you're a white American that is traveling to Dubai, and you know Muslims do not enter with their shoes in a mosque, why do you as a white person person, Mm -hmm. think it's okay for you to enter with shoes? If you're an American that is traveling through Uganda, through ginger, and you've read about the cultural history of Uganda, why would you walk around in inappropriate clothes? Why would you want to take photos of, you know, street children and all those other I think when we, when we talk about something like that, it reminds me of how when seeing people visit West Africa, especially Senegal, in the... In the Gori Islands, where the, the, there was the biggest slave market in oh, there. Yeah, that's, and, that's and something that means so, so much, much to the African too. people. Mm-hmm. And then people are taking pictures. And it's a you bit... know, 
smiling, happy selfies. Oh, here I am at the slave market. Do you have respect for people's culture? Do you have respect for what people have gone through their history? These are things that you need to ask yourself before you actually travel. Yeah, I think I'll share with you guys an example. When I was in Rwanda and I visited the genocide memorial in Chigali and there were white people inside the memorial taking pictures of the remains of people, bones and all that kind of thing. I felt really offended because I was like, whom are you going to show this? Why, why should this, I mean, going to visit is really okay, but then taking these pictures makes it problematic because you're, you're going to put this online, the people of Rwandese origin around the world, who you're going to remind of that pain that their country has been through years ago. So I think also people should, people traveling, yes, much as you're a tourist and, you know, you should look at these things that, that have a connection with, um, with the continent, you know, those specific sites. We are not saying you shouldn't. Take those pictures for your own, you know, satisfaction. That's okay. But not to post on Instagram because to me, when I see that as a black person, it reminds me of a lot of pain that this continent has been through. Someone goes to South Africa and they take a photo in Nelson Mandela's prison cell. What is that? Yeah. And you're posting it online. Nelson Mandela went through a lot during the apartheid. He was humiliated. He, there was a lot of pain there. But someone proudly posts a picture of the cell. Okay, this is where Nelson Mandela was staying for the last 27 years. But are you the one who should be sharing that story to the world? Yeah. Yeah. And it does like it shifts the attention to a place that it shouldn't be. The story should be about like what Nelson Mandela achieved and like the struggles that he dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It does shift the story from what it should Should be be to what you want the world to actually see. Yeah. You need to know not everyone can afford the plane ticket. Not everyone has the luxury. Not everyone has, you know, the privilege that you have but to travel to, you know, from one place to another. So at the end of the day, how are you using this privilege? Yeah. So using, I think, critically assessing and analyzing things will help you guide you as a traveler to different countries. Because within ethics, it gives you what to do and what not to do. It basically asks you questions. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Do you think it should be the other way around? Yeah. And in the end, you're able as a traveler to come to a conclusion of whether what you are doing is good or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another part of the equation I've noticed is also about listening to local people instead of assuming mm. what is right or wrong yeah. in a place. And we've, we've also noticed that uh, people that are traveling, are, they fall victim of, they fall prey of cultural appropriation. Okay? Yeah. Here is a white man in a dashika, hmm. whatever. Here is a, like, a white girl wearing braids. They don't, because their positions in society have been seen as the norm. They don't even have room or time to question the things that they are doing. So what you, we have people that are traveling to Kenya, visiting the Masai, buying their earrings and selling them online for two times the price. But what are the Masai women gaining out of this? And at the end of the day, you're on on a cover of Vogue, as you know, the the, the first woman to, you know, make Masai rings or the first Masai warrior. Like, do you respect the culture that you're walking into? Mm-hmm. Or for you, it's simply, you know, I'm just here to have fun. I don't care about anything that falls after that. So, yeah, so... Mm. Well, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening, and I think that our listeners will really benefit from hearing about not just what Not White Saviors does, but um, 
your perspectives as like people living in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, I did want to ask if you have recommendations, I mean, for people here who want to give financial help, are there organizations, obviously your own organization, but are there others that you would recommend as recommend or organizations that are ethical to donate money to? We know of an organization that we shall most definitely partner with. They are called Noru Tours. It's it's a bunch of African people in the diaspora that are simply coming back to Africa to connect with their roots and through their travel, they set workshops in the countries that they go to and how to be there. They, it's sort of a learning exchange between this group of people from the diaspora mm-hmm. and the Africans on the continent. <laughs> Yeah. So we we don't want and the reason and the reason why we don't want to um we don't want to give organizations out there is that because most organizations have their own problems and we don't want to say much as on the inside they may look authentic yeah. Yeah. but we don't know what's inside so as no activists we always love to um give examples that of, we are mm-hmm. familiar with people that we've seen growing. Yeah, but with these big organizations, we wouldn't uh, want to recommend them. And then at one point in the future, people are like, oh, no, it's obvious it's one that recommended this organization. And so, yeah, yeah right. so it's, so we want to be careful. On We want to provide the knowledge to you such that you're able to access things on your own. Exactly. And then point out where to take your money right okay? so rather than so, telling people this organization is organization, okay to give to you that's a very capitalistic kind of thinking and at the end of the day it doesn't align with what we believe in mm. so we are providing you with the education use the education to assess mm-hmm. onto where you want to put your money as a person exactly yeah. So it boils down to doing the work to research an organization and where they yeah, put their money. Because I think we've given enough like enough information about how you can track these things down, look at the management, look at who runs it, look, look at, at the, the positions, the from websites, the images and you know, the very small minor things yes. could alert you that there's something wrong with this organization. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Welcome to you. Welcome, guys. We have a podcast coming out as well. The No Way. Save Podcast. We'll be starting in the next year, so we'll be recording our own podcast now. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I also just wanted to say, like, um, one of the interesting things that you guys were talking about was um, just the fact that people will go to a country and, and portray the negative things. Something like that happened in Canada actually recently um, where an, a reporter from New York went up to one of our indigenous uh, communities up north um, and did. All, there was all this uh, feedback that came out saying from the community members saying that we had given her all this amazing information about how great our community is and all the great initiatives that are going on there. And then the article that came out was basically saying how awful it is and what a terrible place it is to live and that type of thing. So, Aww. yeah, so the yeah. poverty porn is real <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was and really the upsetting. But happy narrative is real. And I was going to say, like, that is such a problem we notice here in Canada is that we have indigenous communities here that really need support. And like, there are so many problems in Canada, but people are flying across the planet to give help somewhere else when we need it here. And I think a lot of Canadians are really unaware of how how terrible it is within their own country. How is it, how is it possible? This is my question. How is it possible that these people are unaware of how terrible things are? Is it because they've not, they've not taken time to look around? That they are more interested in solving exotic problems yeah. rather than you know, their own problems. Yeah. They are more interested in 
they have this fetish for African poverty, for the so-called third world country poverty, yeah. but they do not have the fetish for their own poverty. Could this be the reason? Because to me, I do not understand why I would overlook my own child that is suffering exactly. and then, you know, go treat the other the neighbor's, the neighbor's child. It doesn't make sense to me at the end of the day. At least we in have- Canada, I think a lot of the problem is colonialism because if we acknowledge what we did to the indigenous communities of Canada, then we have to acknowledge our colonial position in this country. And I think that's why people feel better going elsewhere, because then they don't have to acknowledge the problems that they caused (laughs) at home. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, and then also I think uh, we know that it's not... Your fault that you're born in privilege. Yeah, we we are not saying no. that it's wrong that yeah. you are a white person. No. The question is how what are you using your privilege? privilege? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You navigate you. You know, the nuances of white supremacy. Are you have you thought about the fact that white supremacy as time goes on is getting more and more sophisticated? Or you are simply seated back and benefiting from the system. Yeah, that is also something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, you're welcome. It's uh, very good that, that you guys, guys are educating people that are, you know, we are traveling around. Also, the fact that um, that you guys reached out because so many people wouldn't. There are people who didn't want to know. I said this to be on there. Podcast, podcast because they feel the approach is, you know, is hard, but um, uh, having us on this podcast means a lot. Yeah, it means a lot. That, you, that, means that there are people hearing mm-hmm. and you know, willing to learn from, yeah, from, yeah, and um, yeah, so we'll be waiting for, um, we'll be waiting to hear what comes out of the recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I'm sure you will get so many people who want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and honestly, we wanted to. You're going to give us the feedback and be like, you guys, people really wanted to listen to this. All right, folks, so you can follow the No White Saviors campaign at www.nowhitesaviors.org or on Twitter and Instagram at at NoWhiteSaviors. It's also possible to donate to their campaign via PayPal. You can do that if you head to their website or to the link tree on their Instagram. You can find all that information in the show notes. Alpaca My Bags is hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Lore here in Toronto. If you'd like to get in touch with us, which you should, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod or on our website, alpacamybags.ca. If you like what you're hearing, here's something you can do to help us. Tell a friend. Share a screenshot of our podcast to your Insta story and tag us. Get in touch. We want to hear from you. And we hope you get to alpaca your bags soon.